Welcome to the Feel Good Running Podcast. No matter what level runner you are, and whether you prefer road or trail running or both, you will find this podcast informative, motivating, inspiring, and entertaining. We have interesting guests, running-related information, inspirational stories about real runners, and much more. Now, here's your host and a longtime runner himself, Jim Lynch. Hello, runners. How are you doing? I hope everybody is doing well. My name is Jim Lynch. This is my podcast, Feel Good Running. I would like to welcome you to it. Oh, I'll tell you what. What an episode we got for you. I am so humbled, so honored to have Tina Muir here on my podcast. And I will get to Tina in just a few minutes. But before I do, I am going to ask all of you a favor. And actually, you're going to get something out of this. If you would be so kind to go to my website, feelgoodrunning.com, and sign up for my newsletter. Now, what will happen is when you go into feelgoodrunning.com, a pop-up will appear. And all you need to do is put in your first name and your email address. And like I said, you will get something in return. I have this PDF that you will get that is 101 plus running related links. Now, this is all in one document. It's, you know, it's, it's awesome. I put a lot of time into this. Actually, my friend Kathleen put a lot of time into this and it's all updated and you can get links to running apps, running podcasts, a couple YouTube channels, some publications and blogs, online training programs, even running travel like marathon expeditions or travel and tours and other running related resources. Now, it says 101 plus running links, but actually there's 137. Now, can you imagine that? How much time you will save by, you know, not having to go and search the internet for different things. You got most of everything right here at your fingertips. So if you go to feelgoodrunning.com, wait for the pop-up, put in your name and your email address and hit send, and then you'll get another email to authenticate your email and the PDF will appear right away. Now, Sometimes that goes to your junk file, that second uh, authentication for the email. So make sure you look at the uh, junk file because it could go into there. I don't know why it does that, but it does that. And I have no control over it. So if you could do me a solid and sign up for my newsletter, I promise I won't spam you and I will never give out your information. And it would be very much appreciated. All right. Well, runners, I am so excited. Tina Muir, she is on my podcast, and many of you know who she is. She's from St. Albans in the UK. Now, Tina began running when she was 14 years old, and in 2007, she moved to the U.S. to attend college at Ferris State in Michigan on a full ride. Now, she's had many accomplishments in college, and then she turned professional. And during her professional career, she ran the London Marathon in 2017 in a time of two hours and 36 minutes. That's her personal best. And her half marathon personal best is an hour and 13 minutes. Then out of the blue, she just left the sport. Very promising career in the running world. But she left the sport at the height of her career. And that was to rest and start a family with her husband. Now, one of her main concerns is that she was suffering from amenorrhea. And that is the loss of menstruation. For nine years, she did not have a period. 
And to top it off, she just fell out of love with running. This was a shock to the running community. And there were several articles written about her then. Um, She had an article in People Magazine and several other publications. But since then, she fell back in love with running, but not as a professional. She is the founder and CEO of Running For Real, which started in 2017. A running influencer, she has built a very strong community of runners with a goal of building a healthy mindset around running. Her podcast, which many of you probably are familiar with, Running For Real, was voted the best fitness podcast by Sports Podcast Awards. And it is popular with over 5.5 million downloads and an average of 110,000 downloads per episode. The Running For Real podcast is a collective of conversations about running, the climate, emergency, and social justice. Tina also hosted a second highly produced podcast with Knox Robinson called Running Realized, noted as the Invisibilia of Running by Women's Running. Invisibilia is from the Latin word invisible, and these are 10 episodes that are issues that directly affect the sport of running that very much needs to be addressed. Check them out. You can find them at forrealrunning.com. Tina has previously been voted as one of the 17 women changing the world of running by Women's Running Magazine and has inspired many others to speak about their own passions. So how did we connect? Well, last April, Tina ran the Maui Marathon as a guide for her friend, Joseph Rutherford, who is visually impaired. She reached out to me while out there and we tried to meet up, but with my involvement, and time commitment with the Maui Marathon, it didn't happen. So we kept in touch and I recorded our discussion a few months back. Runners, I cannot tell you how honored I am to know Tina. She is an amazing woman and believes running is a vehicle for social change. And last year, she started collaborating with the United Nations and is one of the lead climate activists in the running space. We talk very little about Tina's past as a professional runner, and you can find numerous articles written about Tina on the internet. Most of our talk is on her Maui experience, the climate and environment, the status of running races becoming more environmentally friendly, the addition of a non-binary category, and the fantastic running community she is building. So now here is me talking to this incredible woman making a huge difference, Tina Muir. Hey, Tina, how you doing? I'm good. I'm uh, excited to finally be talking to you. I felt like the word, world was trying to tell us not to for a little while, but we managed to make it work. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm super excited. And I know when you were in Maui, I was so busy out on the course and with the race that we tried to connect up even at the finish line, but mm. I couldn't get out there to do uh, get to the finish line to be able to meet you. But uh, yeah. You know, it, you're, you're a super impressive woman. You have uh, the hottest podcast in the running world. Um, but I really like your podcast. I like the way you have everything set up on your website. Um, I think you are really making an impact on the running world. 
Now, like I mentioned before, I, when we were talking off camera or off uh, audio, uh, I don't want to really go back into your days because you have been interviewed left and right on podcast <laughs> and in print and all that. Mm. Um, just the highlights of you is that, um, you know, you moved to the United States around 2007 and went to college up in Michigan and you traveled around a little bit uh, in the United States and you met your husband actually the first day that you came to university in Michigan, which you don't remember, but <laughs> he remembers. Um, and, uh, but before that you were, uh, well, while you were in the U.S., you were track and field cross-country champ. Um, you're a 236 PR marathoner, elite marathoner. You were taking the running world by storm. And you had um, went nine years without a period. And at that point, your life changed. You changed your life. Mm. Tell me, let's go from that point and what impact that had on your life. Yeah, I mean, this actually does tie in to uh, you. Obviously, uh, we have a, a deep connection here to the Maori Marathon. And this does tie in in a way because running that race was the literal opposite of um, the mental point I was at um, at that moment you're, you're telling me to, to start from to where, uh, I was at the Maui marathon. So we'll obviously get there, but like that for me, that race in particular, that run really made something click in me of like, Oh, I've done it. I figured out another, another way here because I was at a point where, um, I'd run for great Britain, which was my lifelong goal. I'd been working towards that since I was 14 to run in a world championship. I'd completed that. I'd run a PR and I suddenly found it wasn't even a lack of motivation. It was a, I don't even want to do this anymore. Not, I can't, I don't want to. Um, and that was scary. Uh, it was everything I'd known and trying to motivate yourself to run 90 miles a week when you don't want to do it is not easy. Uh, to be an elite marathoner, there's, uh, a real hole you have to go into. And, uh, without that motivation, that drive, it's <laughs> very hard to do. And I was at that point, yeah, my body was, it, it wasn't shutting down, but it was, it had been screaming at me for a long time. I'd dealt with insomnia for a long time, which even more than the lack of periods, I think affected me the most. And that was all tied in together. Uh, insomnia was driving me crazy. Uh, and I, was just miserable in my sport. Uh, my sister had a baby and I looked at this little baby and I thought, well, there's something that actually matters, something meaningful. And it just flicked a switch in me that, okay, I'm ready for the next stage of my life. I quit running, uh, on a whim, uh, on a random day and didn't end up running again for three months. Uh, and at that three month point, I was pregnant intentionally and uh, promised myself that if I'd ever go back to running again, I would go back to it with joy being the at the forefront and it not being about obsessive performance or staring at the um, staring at the light, like the horizon in front of me, um, which was where I was at when I when I left the sport. You mentioned you flipped the switch and I can relate to that. Um, I was running for 29 years marathons and went after the 50 states and finished that in 2006 with a friend of mine. And then I got rejuvenated with a running group here in Denver. 
And then I ended up moving to Maui and ended up with uh, 101 marathons, but I was done. I did not want to run anymore. I didn't want to compete anymore. And like you, and, and tell me if I'm correct here, once I decided that I didn't want to put in all that time anymore, but I wanted to be in the running world, I wanted to give back at that point. And at that point is when I started getting involved with races and having a group run and being overly joyed when I saw somebody come in that never was a runner and turned out to be a great runner and their life changed, their life improved. It just completely uh, gave them a whole new outlook on life, new confidence, new motivation. Um, And that just gives me tremendous joy Mm -hmm. to this day no matter what I'm doing in the running. I still run, but is that similar to what you experienced? Absolutely. I mean, at the beginning, it was more of a traditional route of, well, I don't know if I could say traditional, but I launched my business one month after I stopped. Uh, and people often said to me at the time, they were like, how can you do that? Is that not painful? You're you're immersing, you're kind of like an alcoholic just going to a bar. Um, but actually I found the opposite that, yeah, the giving back, the supporting other people's journeys, the, I, I did think at first people would think, why would we want to hear from her? Like she quit, like what a quitter. Um, she's just a has been, she's not going to have anything to add. But once I realized that people didn't care about the fact that I, uh, you know, was taking some time away, they respected that, uh, I really could, you know, put my energy into supporting other people, giving what back what I could. And and that's really where my mission with running for real became uh, a thing because, uh, it always been, everything in me has always been driven by helping people to not feel alone, to not feel like they don't belong, to help people belong to something and creating a community where people who weren't fast felt like they had people to talk to. We were one of the first big Facebook groups at the time. And then beyond there, it's it's evolved to seek out other ways I can give back, to seek out other ways of um, yeah finding that connection, that community without it being about uh, time. And actually, I had a conversation with my husband, who is a college coach, about he finds this hard to understand. He he tries and he uh, respects it, but I've said to him that me running New York Marathon and running three, I did 317, which is still fast. That's fast, actually yeah. way more relatable and uh, valuable to people than me running 230 something because the two something kind of puts it in like, oh, you're just a superhuman, just go do that thing. Whereas I love that I can... Um, you know, celebrate being able to run, um, and do these races in a different way and also resonate with people in a way I hadn't before. So yeah, very much relate to what you said. Well, your experience, um, brings a lot to the table. I, like you mentioned, people don't care what you are bringing to the table Mm -hmm. with your, um, your website and all the different, directions in your website with your podcast, your Facebook, uh, group with, uh, your newsletter that you send out. Um, you know, you're, you don't highlight yourself. You highlight and spotlight the people, uh, no matter what direction you're going into, 
uh, in the podcast and in, 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 in what you do. And I think that's admirable. You're not, you never really talk about yourself. You're always interested in the other person and the topics that you um, are focusing on. Mm. It's funny you say that because sometimes I feel the other way that, you know, we all have that critical voice in our head. And sometimes I feel like people are thinking, will you just shut up about yourself? Um, and uh, <laughs> so I feel like sometimes I insert myself too much, but I think to your point, it's that the things that I do share are very vulnerable. And so they open people up. And then they're, when they're opened up, they're at a point where they're, yeah, we'll listen to someone's perspective or think, oh, I've never thought about that before. So um, I guess I do it in a strategic way without in t- intending on it being strategic. You you do. And, uh, you know, your together run is pretty awesome. Mm. I, uh, you know, not too many people do a run and talk for an hour or so when you're running by yourself. Mm-hmm. Did you <laughs> listen to the Maui one? I did. I want to get to that one because, <laughs> uh, when I listen to that, it takes me back. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I, I live in Denver, but I get out to Maui quite a bit and especially mm-hmm. being race director of the Maui marathon, I I'm actually mm-hmm. going out in a couple of weeks again. Um, but that is pretty amazing because not only do you talk and you bring people in during your run on that, but you also have the sounds of nature and mm-hmm. whether it's in the city or whether it's in Maui, which we'll get to in a second. And I, I think that's, a, that's an awesome approach. Yeah. And it all goes back to that thing of not being alone. I mean, everything I do within my business is driven by helping people feel like they belong. And I noticed in the pandemic, we, you know, we couldn't run with other people. There was a lot of loneliness and I was I didn't want to run on my own. And um, actually, a few days ago, I recorded one that was supposed to come out this week, or I guess it was a week ago, was meant to come out this week. And my microphone turned off 40 seconds in. And I initially felt like, oh, like what a waste of time. But then I thought, you know what? I actually, even though no one's going to hear that, I still felt that community support. And I still felt like I was running with people even though no one will ever hear what I said. Um, and so, yeah, everything is about bringing people in and, and helping people to feel like they have a friend. I, you mentioned it. I, I'd run with a microphone. I, I like it to be very, uh, it's got meditative aspects in it, but in there, but I also really imagine what people are saying back to me. And I, you know, when I ask, uh, how are you? And then leave some space. I always envision someone being really nervous and being like, okay, I'm going to tell you like just what they would say to me. So, um, yeah, it's something special that I enjoy as much as listeners enjoy. So thank I love you for that. Faces, by the way, in between when you'll be running and talking and then all of a sudden there'll be a minute or two of just, you know, listening. And I think that, gives the person that's listening, whether they're out there running or, you know, just listening at mm. home, a time to reflect upon themselves too, mm-hmm. which yeah. I think is extremely interesting. You know, you dig very deep into the running world, you know, you're highly respected. And I, I want to talk a little bit about your podcast. You've got three different uh, se- segments of your podcast. You've got of course, the guests that you have on. And I just mm-hmm. listened to Adrian Hazlitt, which you just had, mm-hmm. I think you just released that mm-hmm. uh, 
few days ago or whatever. And, and that was a very interesting conversation. And for those that don't know, can you tell a little bit about Adrian? She's uh, her, her start into uh, really changing, like we were talking mm-hmm. before, changing her life was the Boston Marathon bombing. Yeah. So Adrian was not a runner. Uh, she was a spectator standing near the finish line of the Boston Marathon in 2013 when, um, yep, the bomb went off and um, blew off her leg. Um, she was obviously, um, you know, hospitalized for a long time, had a lot of recovery um, process involved. But from on that day, she decided she wanted to run, wanted to do the Boston Marathon. And um, she, I mean, that happened in 2013 and 2022, this was the first year she actually completed it and it went as she hoped. She's had so many setbacks, including being hit by a car. Um, she also has had a lot of things go wrong, um, just in terms of her, you know, situation, her life, which have just prevented her from either running it at all or, or, um, running it as she, um, hoped she would this year, she got to run with Shalane as her support person. And, uh, she is just an incredibly inspiring woman who is really doing the work to make change, um, happen in terms of, uh, paraplegic, uh, visibility and getting conversations out there to make change and, um, you know, bring in prize money for the first athletes and to make these divisions, uh, happen and, um, and be celebrated in the media and get some TV coverage and all these things. She's working really hard. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, a gift to be able to talk to her. And she crushed it in the mm-hmm. Boston marathon this year, five eighteen forty one. Yep. Um, which I think the first time that she attempted it, it was over 10 hours. Yep. And she had a lot of struggles during that race. And she is an ad advocate for amputee rights and the para division. I'm actually uh, releasing an episode tomorrow with a woman out here who is trying to spotlight more yeah. push rim, yeah. uh, which she's trying to get more push rim division into races. And it's very interesting. And she has a lot of challenges mm-hmm. in her life medically and she's out there doing it. And those are inspirational stories that you bring to the table. And I'm trying to bring you to the table with yeah. my little bitty, itty bitty podcast that yeah. I do. Um, the other segment you just uh, started not too long ago is running for real change. And I really want to get into that in just a little bit because you are a, a very uh, passionate about the environment, planet Earth, and the future of our planet. And now more than ever, it's it's crazy what's going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. But you do that podcast with uh, Knox Robinson. And it's really interesting how you put that together. Tell me how that all came about, but not really getting into the envir- environmental part of it yet. Yeah. Uh, so I... Again, it comes back to that, just not wanting people to feel alone. I recognize that there was a big percentage of the running population that was either not included or didn't have the opportunities, didn't have the privileges that I had. I was very aware of that. And I wanted to do something when the uh, when uh, George Floyd was murdered and um, the kind of um, Black Lives Matter protest started to gain, gather momentum, I thought, OK, how can I how can I 
really start to um, make change, but make it last in a meaningful way. I could change my podcast. I could really shift the direction more towards, um, you know, giving people a platform who hadn't had that before. Uh, leaders in the space who are doing amazing work. But I also, what about if we did something that was um, with someone who I really respected, really trusted, had a really great like energy with, relationship with, and Knox came to mind immediately. Um, I called him up on the way back from a trail run one day and I said, would you want to do a podcast with me? And he was like, yes. Um, and then I called up someone who I thought could be a producer and he was like, yep, I'm in. And then the three of us with some help from um, an editor and uh, someone who did sound mix and design and a few other people to create the cover art and things. But primarily the three of us just went about this mission of uh, we did these 10 episodes. We are um, uh, 10 episodes about various uh, challenges in our society, climate being one. Um, obviously we did one about, uh, black women and running. Uh, we did one about, um, the inner disconnect that we feel. There's one about motherhood and the Olympics. These are all different topics, gender and uh, gender identity. Um, very, uh, NPR style, highly produced. I mean, it took so much work, which is why we haven't come back yet. Um, our producer, uh, just had a, baby uh, about six months ago and so we're um giving him some space but uh yeah so it was just these um ways to connect with the community and give people a different perspective that they might not have considered before and they're controversial topics where you're going to get opinions mm. both positive and negative and probably went into that knowing that you know yeah you're, you're probably going to get some feedback on some of these topics. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, how has that been? Have you had any feedback that you could share uh, of how it was received and both positive and negative? Uh, well, I've had, we've had a lot of positive responses in terms of leaders uh, who have heard messages, the, the episodes and, and really been um, connected to them, felt they were important. The one that, uh, gender identity on the trail, um, that one really seemed to hit home with a lot of people, uh, particularly race directors, actually, because we talked about, uh, the, the changes that can be made, um, without too much effort, uh, that can make a huge difference for inclusion. Uh, so I will be nudging you along with that. <laughs> now you are, uh, race director. So congratulations. I want to say that publicly. Thank you. Um, but, uh, we, I, I did have negative, but not so much on running realized. I think that was pretty clear from the start. As you said, these are topics that are hot button things. Uh, so people, I think just stayed away from those, but I will say within my general direction, which had been kind of moving since the start, but I really channeled in on that direction more in 2019, 2020. Uh, I started to get people saying, you know, I've been with you since the beginning. I've known you, known of you since 2014, 15. And, uh, you know, what you're saying is offensive. I am out. Um, and that, that was hard. I had, um, there was that people pleaser in me, that perfectionist that wanted to like crawl back and be like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean yeah. to offend you. I should have, you know, <laughs> but I knew that I, I knew what I believed. I knew, um, I wanted 
to, uh, I knew I had done the work myself to consider what it was like in other people's shoes. And again, bringing it back to Maui, I mean, we're going to go into how life-changing that trip was for me, but I remember seeing people, um, there and, and connecting for just a second with people who were in so much pain. It was clear to me, but being like that, being a realization of, wow, like you could be in the most perfect place on earth and you still experience pain. And it really made me think, wow, we're all suffering. We all have things we're going through. And, uh, so I knew for me, even if it meant a few disgruntled people, it was worth it to make sure that that person who had previously felt completely ignored by society felt at least some or two people were behind them. It's necessary that people like yourselves step forward with the platform that you have and the listenership that you have mm. to go into depth into these subjects, even if it's painful for some, because a lot of people just keep to themselves. They don't throw out their opinions or bring it to a platform. And you're doing that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm involved with a couple races out here, just real small in the Colfax marathon. I'm, uh, I work in that, in that mm -hmm. race. And then I do, uh, it's called the bear chase race series and there are trail races. Mm -hmm. And there's one person that contacted the person that is the race director and owner of the races um, and wanted to be put into a non-binary division. And there is not one at mm -hmm. this point. Mm -hmm. And actually that's a tough subject in the running world right now because it has to be addressed and it has to be looked at and it can't be swept under the carpet. Mm -hmm. What are you hearing out there in the general running world of a division like that possibly being included in the near future? Well, that was one of the episodes of Running Realized was about that uh, exact thing. I did thing. not hear that episode. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's why I said that. So that episode, that's why I said nudging you along, because uh, that episode was about when you when you know a race director, when you meet a race director, tell them, like, when are you adding this non-binary third category? Now, it's so much more than that. I actually just a few days ago interviewed um, someone who has written a guide, uh, the non-binary guide to running, I think it's called. And, um, so they had a lot of input to teach me that I hadn't thought of it. And, and towards the end of that episode, we got to a point where they were suggesting things to me of, of where they would like to see the running world. And even for me, I was like, Ooh, I, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can handle that. Um, but you know, I'm willing to listen. Uh, that said, I, I do think, you know, I understand there's some changes that need, need to be made with the coding. Um, I don't think adding a third category should be that big of a, you know, thing to get your head around. I, I, I can kind of understand, and this is what we talked about in that episode, the budget side of, you know, adding a, a division where there's awards and prizes. Uh, but I think taking that step of adding the third category for me is something that can be made and makes not only a huge difference and brings in um, new runners uh, from the non-binary community, uh, but also the whole queer LGBTQ plus community will all see that as a race. I feel safe there. If they have added that category, if they have taken this step, done this work, 
I feel safe there, that brings in them and that also can bring in potential new sponsors. Um, so I think I, I don't see the downside of adding that. Other than I don't maybe. see the downside either, but it is, uh, you know, you're, you're tunneling that particular non-binary, which it excludes others. And so I think it might need to be a different name category that is inclusive mm-hmm. to all, you know, like transgender, uh, you know, LGBTQT community and all of that. I and I don't know how to do that. I know that it's as a race director, I'm going to have that question yeah. asked to me. We don't have a huge race out in Maui, but still yeah. something that we're going to have to address at some point For and sure. figure out how to do it. Yeah, it's difficult. And there's a lot of discussions going on. I mean, I know I, I think the conversation around uh, trans runners is the biggest the most difficult one, obviously, because of the, um, you know, the, the runners who are finishing high up. Um, but I do think for most people, they don't, they don't want to finish in the first in their age group or anything. They just want to be able to go out there and feel safe running. Um, that's most of us, you know, that are out there. We just want to feel safe and we, you know, we're all challenging ourselves, at least me and myself. I'm not out there competing against anybody anymore. I'm out there because I enjoy it. And if I do a race, I'm just there to finish it. I'm not even looking at time anymore, Mm -hmm. but I want a safe race. And I want a race that I know when I finish that everybody had a good time. Mm -hmm. And even the race that I put on in Maui, I want to be sure everybody has a nice time. It's safe and very enjoyable. You're not Mm going to please everybody, but in general, um, I think we we do somewhat of a good job. So let's yeah. jump to Maui real quick here. Mm. Uh, your Together Run podcast episode, uh, when, first of all, thank you for all the roosters. <laughs> when I heard all the roosters, I said, you know what? I have so many runs when I'm out there by myself. I do a Saturday run when I'm out there and when I lived out there that I go out early before the rest of our small group of runners come out and it's dark. And you can see the stars vividly in the sky and I'm running and I hear the roosters and I have my headlamp on and, you know, I'll I'll look uh, to the left and my headlamp will see eyes back in the bushes, (laughs) which are either feral cats or deer. And it is the most peaceful, amazing Mm -hmm. run. And I I miss that living here in Denver, even though we have our you know, pluses here, but tell me how this has impacted you, your Maui trip. Yeah. I mean, I think (laughs) the best way to describe it is I often come back from uh, visiting places uh, and I'll, when I go on my own and I'll talk to people, uh, talk to my husband and I'll say, Oh, it was just amazing. I, I want to move there. I wanted this. I, I, I just want to take it. And I go on and on about it for about a week. And so I think when I came back from Maui, he thought, yeah, yeah. All right. I've heard this before. But then a month later and two months later and three months later, and now I'm still going on about Maui because I'd always heard people saying it was a special place, but it was, it hit me so hard how it felt sacred. It felt just spiritual. I've never felt so connected to the earth as I did there. Um, and especially for me, you mentioned about my passion for the environment. I do have that. 
And I also had a lot of uh, mixed feelings about flying to Maui because that's obviously a long way. But I felt so connected to the earth and just, it was just hard to put into words. Um, Every day I felt connected in a different way. And um, I mean, see, on the first morning I went for a run, I went, I saw that banyan tree downtown and I just could not believe what I was seeing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd heard of a banyan tree, but to see it and to see it just really brought home that message of we're all connected Every, I mean, look at what Mother Earth created here. This is insane. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know what that is, this is one tree with like a central cluster of trunks, I suppose. And then these trunks, do they go off and then go down or do they go under and come up? I'm not sure. But I, they, I don't know. Yeah. They, there's multiple other trunks in this like, I don't know, 50 meter diameter Um of just all these trunks and I just uh, like blew my mind and they're all connected. It was beautiful. And so we put uh, an aid station there, I moved an aid station right toward the Banyan tree uh-huh. uh, area. And if you were at the start line, you probably heard my introduction, even though I wasn't there, I, yeah, I yep. interjected it into the music and said, when you get to the Banyan tree, we have an aid station and take pictures because it's, absolutely awesome uh-huh yeah it really is and that represented so much for me i also had a really spiritual experience at the top of um Haleakala. Haleakala. Yeah. yep mm-hmm. and um i was gonna say i was like i haven't forgotten the name already uh but yeah it was just just something special and then the race was just kind of capping it off um and was such as i said i mentioned at the beginning of this a really representative moment uh and I do you want to go on to talk about that now? Or? Sure. Okay. Yes. So uh, not only was I being a guide for Joe, who was someone I had the first time I ever ran as a as a guide for a visually impaired runner was Joe. I was pregnant at the time, so I couldn't go the whole way. I went halfway and um, I'd always left it as like unfinished business. Like someday we will run this together. And so um to go back to finish to run a marathon with him was uh, to give back and and be with him and he's become a friend and be alongside him was special but also the other thing that struck me was um you know i there were these two women who we kept kind of leapfrogging and they were i, I haven't shared the story anywhere they were taking they were stopping constantly to take pictures of the view of each other of uh, just constantly and in my past I'd always seen people do it or always heard of people doing things like that and I thought what is that like why would you do a race to stop and take pictures but seeing them doing it and seeing the joy on their faces in the literal act of taking a picture of being together of doing this as a pair it really um brought things full circle to me in terms of uh there's so many different ways to enjoy a race experience. I loved the fact that it was small enough to where uh, Joe and I and these women could just keep going back and forth and we could, you know, kind of talk to them a little bit. But um, it really was just such a good representation moment, that race of um, everyone is out there doing this. It doesn't matter how they go about it. They all cross the same finish line. So, um, yeah, it was really special. They do. And in the beautiful setting out there, mm-hmm. you know, 
in that episode, um, there was a couple things that, that struck me. One, you were a little nervous because it was going to be a five hour marathon for you and you knew it was going to get hot out there. Mm-hmm. And you were concerned a little bit about starting at five o'clock because it was dark, but you had your headlight on, but we put those big floodlights out yeah, there for yeah. a couple really, miles. Yeah. That kind of helped you out a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, you were with Joseph uh, Rutherford and I'm sure that that right there got you through the race by assisting somebody and giving back to somebody so they could experience an absolutely amazing race. It really was. And I mean, I think the fact that, um, you know, Joe is almost totally blind and he loved the experience. There was so much from for him to enjoy and appreciate, even with taking out the visual aspects of it. Uh, I mean, yes, it was absolutely stunning. I mean, unlike anything I've ever known, I've, uh, <laughs> I was always the, the runner who chased the fast marathons or the, um, the, as I said, as I said, right at the beginning, the fast marathons where I could stare at the ground or, um, or the ones that were the iconic ones, uh, you know, the majors. So doing a race where it was absolutely spectacular visually was amazing. But also, as you said, the other things, hearing the roosters, getting to, um, you know, hear people cheering along the way, getting to smell the sea breeze. Like there were so many elements of it. Like, was all my senses were just on crashing, fire the entire crashing time. waves as yes, you're you know exactly. you're running on the long stretch on the second half mm-hmm. i mean all of that is is just in, in some ways it's sensory overload you know you you mentioned uh earlier the impact that it's had on your life i lived out there for eight years and i've seen you know a whole different part of Maui. And there's the environmental aspect and it. People are very passionate about the environment out there. But I remember one part in your podcast that you were running by a bunch of beer cans on the road and, mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit of garbage. And that happens out there. Unfortunately, people do not have a lot of respect. You know, the coral with the sunscreen and all that, the, the damage that it did. When the pandemic was in its peak, there was no tourism out on Maui. And my mm-hmm. friends out there said, this is the most glorious period of time. Mm-hmm. Coral came back to life. The The ocean was bluer. The skies were cleaner. Um, you just didn't have that. It looked like somebody came down on a spaceship and sucked all the people out of there and just left it <laughs> for the people that lived there, which is the original form of Hawaii yeah, yeah, yeah. until, you know, we started going over there. But then there's the other aspect, you know, where you have culture that you have to mix in with because you have to respect that. It's, it's Hawaiian culture and it's their island, but you have it to have the island that's now starting to be uh, taken over by the wealthy. They're yeah. buying, buying up all the real estate. They're buying up all the land and the land's being developed and it's getting, you know, more and more traffic out there and it's really hurting the environment and what Hawaii was like, you know, the, uh, and sorry to go, I'm going on a tangent. No, no, no. But I no, want you to, I want see, you to I hear see that yet. myself. Yeah. But you know, the, there's a little, little on the frustration and out there, there's a lot of drug and alcoholism 
um, on the island. It is so hard for people to live out there anymore. There's two divisions out there. There's the very wealthy and there's people that are just living there paycheck to paycheck. And you probably yeah. even notice that there's people that just live, you know, off the that. earth in a van and just mm-hmm. enjoy it. And I hope that it doesn't destroy in you know, long term the island and what it represents. The Hawaiian culture seems to be going away. When you went over there, you would feel the the culture and now you just feel it's being overrun by mm. our society and the wealthy and it yeah. it's it's sad but there are a lot of people have left once the pandemic was over because they couldn't afford it anymore yeah i mean yes it was i i did look at what i <laughs> i uh i met someone and went to uh it was it actually wasn't their house they were just uh house sitting there but i went to look it up and I was like, whoa, okay. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I definitely, and I could see that just, I could even see the split. I could see the various versions of, of, yeah, people who were originally there. Um, I got to meet an amazing, um, man who was born and raised in, uh, a Hawaii man, um, Hawaiian, uh, named Randy. And I had a great conversation with him and he, he seemed to be, um, quite positive about the situation, but I definitely saw a lot of, um, as you said, uh, you know, struggling, suffering, unable to survive there, uh, having to move away. And that was even just a snapshot, but thank you for sharing that because, you know, that helps us all to, to learn and think about that. But I, can I ask you a question related to that? Absolutely. So how do you then reconcile with the fact that your marathon is essentially a tourist event like I mean I I believe in in the power of running and I came to this event myself I like to think that everyone there who ran there respects and loves the earth and takes care of themselves and you obviously take care of anything that isn't picked up but do you have any like inner struggle with that yourself? I do uh, in a way but one of the goals for the race is to incorporate more Hawaiian culture into Mm -hmm. it Mm-hmm. Where people, when they come out, they're they're running our event, but they're also getting Hawaiian culture. Then that may be some of the aid stations. I know uh, you saw the the drummers yes. um, in Olawalu or the monkey yes, pod. Yes, I love that. You know, yeah. and and little things like that. Uh, we're trying to uh, incorporate more and more. Mm-hmm. Also, one of the things that we need to do, which you probably noticed there, is be a little bit more environmentally conscious with our stations and cups and all that. We could not go cupless on a race like that. We need to, but we need to figure out a way to try to help the environment more, not throw 5,000 cups and hope, mm-hmm. you know, that they get recycled. Those are those little things that we can do to make our race more cultural and more environmental uh, conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Thank I do you. struggle with it. I really do. And it's never going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. But if we can just have a win more and more each year, I think That'll be amazing for us. Yeah. And thank you for, for bringing that up. And I want to ask you when you took your podcast and decided to incorporate a lot on the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have a whole section in your 
your website, which I'll, I'll have the, all this in the show notes. And I did introduce you beforehand. So there's some things, you know, about your, your background and all that, that are in there. But, uh, when did you decide? Cause you do, you focus the podcast, you've got resource, uh, links in there. You've got all kinds of interesting things about the environment. How did that all come about? I think it was just when I couldn't keep quiet anymore. Um, I mean, you've probably heard me if you've done together runs where I'll be running along and, you know, I've had a few people say to me, you need, you need to be a little more censored with these things. But when I running along and I get angry at someone who's thrown a, put a couch on the side of the road to be picked up by the, uh, man who picks up the recycling and trash. Um, yeah. And so it just, it's something that I've always been very passionate about. Um, and when I had my daughters, it really became, uh, that reminder of, um, you know, what world was I going to, it reminded me very much of thinking, reflecting back on the civil rights march and how very few people actually marched in, uh, in the, uh, like protested, you know, spoke up about it. And I thought to myself in, you know, 20 years when my kids say, oh, did you participate? Did you help to, you know, bring out um, attention to climate change? I wanted to be able to say, yeah, I did everything I could. Whereas I like, I think with the civil rights movement, we all like to think we would have been there, but would we? I don't know. So um, that was, that was kind of the, the reason for it. But then more and more, we're seeing that it's not about my children. Yes, it is about their um, future, but it's also now like people are in the global South are, are, are dying every day because of uh, effects of climate change. But it's also here. Uh, I mean, here this week in St. Louis, we had uh, historic rainfall that killed someone, uh, flooding. So many houses were destroyed from, from flooding. I mean, you're out in Colorado, there's wildfires, there's all, all kinds of um, drought and, and things. Same with most of the West. I mean, it's here right now. So and to heat. me, yeah. And the heat. Yeah. Never mind the heat. And look at Lake Mead. I mean, yeah. 25% of what it normally is and all these things from years and years and years, people exactly. are finding. Yeah. And so for me, this is the one thing that it connects us all. I mean, um, you know, we may have someone in our family who struggles with, uh, who has, um, you know, had cancer or who has been affected by some, you know, a drunk, someone who's been hurt by a drunk driver or something, but the planet, this, these effects are literally hurting every single one of us. And they're tied to a lot of other causes as well. So yeah, climate change is here now. Um, it's not something in the future. It's affecting every single one of us. It's a thing that ties every single one of us together. And while we may have different causes that we are passionate about, uh, none of us are safe from uh, climate change. I mean, you mentioned about, um, how Maui is changing, it doesn't, you can't build a wall high enough to protect yourself from climate change. So, you know, it is going to affect all of us. And so I just felt it was my responsibility to, to share that, to be that maybe person who makes people reconsider. Um, I mean, obviously voting is the, is the biggest key here, but, um, just makes people think about, okay, what, what life changes can I make or, or what can I speak up about on the local level? So for me, it was just something I, yeah, I couldn't hold in any longer, I suppose. Well, even look at Great Britain, what's going on over there with the heat. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, crazy. It's just mm-hmm. crazy what's yeah, going 104, on. Yeah, 104, and that is, and they don't, we don't have air conditioning other than like the grocery stores. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, we're, I'm glad I wasn't there for that because that is, I mean, it's one thing for, I mean, we have that heat here in St. Louis and, um, you know, Maui, I'm sure has that heat and other places, but it's a totally different thing when you can't escape it. <laughs> and obviously there's countries all around the world that, that live in that heat constantly, but Britain wasn't, isn't prepared for that. Um, they don't know how to handle that. So yeah, that's another great example of it's here now. <laughs> it's here now. Well, I want to thank you for the talk on the environment and think that was, you know, good dialogue and mm-hmm. hopefully people listening will be a little bit more conscious now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to, in our short amount of time left, I wanted you to can, add, We can probably go to like 10 past if that. Oh, that's helps. fine. Okay. Yeah. I'm on your schedule. So whatever. Yeah, no, that, that would be good. I've got something at 11.15. Okay, yeah. cool. All right. You have made a significant impact in the running community and you've impacted runners in, in so many ways. What future impact and direction would you like to see the running community head as we evolve into the future? That's a big question. Um, It is a big question. (laughs) uh, I mean, I think there's, there's various different areas uh, that we need to think about. Uh, Again, for me, environment comes to mind first. It it does affect everyone. And um, I think, you know, you mentioned about the cops. That's a good representation. I mean, that your race had what five, five hundred, eight hundred people, Maui. Um, our total uh, finishing runners for all of our races was approximately uh, eighteen hundred, but I 18. think we had about six hundred, seven hundred marathon mm-hmm. finishers. So that's that. But when you look at Boston, New York. Chicago and you think about the waste there I mean that's pretty mind-blowing um now Chicago is doing an amazing job of uh they have a sustainability council they're really taking it seriously they've made some amazing changes so I would love to see other races taking learning from them there's also a guide um I think it's called uh, council for responsible sports radically uh, radically sustainable guide or something like that. Um, so they've given the blueprint. So that I think is something the running world needs to embrace along with all the brands need to, you know, rethink, uh, not sending things in a box in a box with a load of plastic or how can they make changes? I mean, the, the gel companies have a mammoth task on their hand of figuring out how to make that compostable. I get that. That one's going to be a bit tricky, but I think as the running community, the biggest thing that most of us can do is just speaking up on behalf of people who don't have that opportunity, really thinking through, um, how races, how group meetups, how, um, events can be, uh, welcoming for everyone. Um, I think that Tracksmith has done an incredible job with, uh, taking steps towards that and bringing communities together and, and really making themselves, even though their clothes are a little more on the expensive side. Absolutely. Um, they as a brand have really taken some steps that I think is really admirable. And, um, a lot of other brands and and companies could be learning from the work they are doing. So, um, yeah, 
What actually, if you were to look at the running world, I, I'm doing this more on a race director's level, this question, um, because obviously we want our race to improve in ways that are uh, appealing to runners. What frustrates you within the running community that you would like to see changed? And we're talking maybe in races, uh, you know, whatever. The first thing that comes to mind for me is T-shirts, like making T-shirts optional or donations instead of a T-shirt. That for me, it really drives me crazy um, because I just think about like for someone like me who's been running 15 years, I just don't need a, a t-shirt from a, a 5k I did on a weekend. Now I understand for someone that might be something they've never run before and they've been training their whole life for it or, or not the whole life, but they've been, you know, they've made a change to their life. They've changed their life and they want this t-shirt, but I just think making it optional. I obviously understand there's the element of you have to order these in advance and you don't know how many you're going to need. But I just think that some that comes to mind for me. The apparel industry is responsible for 10% of global emissions. That's got to change. Um, I, I really feel that it's... For me, uh, I mean, uh, in Maui, myself and Joe both carried bottles. I, I wore a pack and he had a handheld. And so we just kept filling up the bottles. I feel like there has to be something. There are compostable cups. I know Chicago is using it, but I, I'd love to see a culture change where the norm is you bring one of those collapsible cups and you fill it up. They, you know, pouring station rather than a cup station or races are allowed packs, which I understand with New York or Boston, they probably, you probably wouldn't get there because of the safety risk. But, um, I think those are two things that come to mind for me immediately. But then beyond that, I do think really having the conversation about adding, um, you know, at least a third category, um, making sure that, um, runners feel welcomed feel inclus included i think that for me is something that we're, there's a lot of work to be done absolutely and and uh i totally agree with that and on the t-shirt and you just gave me a great idea that and we have not done this but maybe there could be a option when people register mm -hmm. if you would you like to not get a t-shirt and donate that yep and then, uh, you know, that would reduce the amount of T-shirts. The other problem with T-shirts uh, for race shirts is they're, they're expensive. Mm -hmm. If you want to get a quality one, a dry wick mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. shirt, and then you got to consider the printing costs and all that that goes into it. And you're getting a lot of cheap shirts. Mm. You really are. It's, uh, yeah. it's sad, but you are. We're trying to do the best we can with our race, but there are races that just have terrible shirts. They're cotton mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. you know, they probably mm -hmm. cost a couple bucks, but environmentally they're terrible. People use yeah. them to wash their cars with, you know, and dry yeah, them off. Yeah. Is there a way of, the other thing I've wondered with that is like, is there enough demand for the same people that go back and want their 19, 20, 21, 22 shirts? Or like, is there a way to make them not say the year. I mean, I, and actually on that note, I want to add, um, Joe's mum, uh, Therese brought me one of the Maui ones, which had the names on the back and my name's not on the back cause I was a guide, but I wear that shirt all the time. And that says Maui 22. And I think it's got the name. So it obviously is relevant, but like, is there a way to make some of the items not yeared 
so that you, they could be used multiple years. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And and that would be up to the runner. If you have somebody uh, that runs our race multiple years, which is probably not as much as somebody would race a, a marathon or another race in 5K, 10K, mar- half marathon in the U.S. because there's just more quantity there and they can do that every year. Um, that definitely would be a possibility. And, and maybe that's something that we put in registration too. If you run this race multiple years, um, what is your feeling about the same mm-hmm. shirt? I don't know. Mm-hmm. These are, you know, like I mentioned before, these are little itty bitty things. If we can get a couple wins each year in progressing towards a more uh, larger goal, that would be great. Mm-hmm. And that's a great idea. And then you could, you know, you're asking them is obviously the best way to do it, but then, it would also make people second, like take a second to think about whether they actually need another shirt. Right. Um, because maybe they don't, and then maybe they donate, uh, uh, instead. And that, that makes a bigger difference. So, uh, one other thing I would add is I really believe in, in picking a cause that each race, each event, each company should pick some area they're passionate about. And obviously Maui, it makes sense for it to be giving back to Hawaiian culture, make it, doing what you can to save Hawaiian culture being preserved. Um, I really think that's a powerful thing. And I've seen, again, I mentioned Tracksmith. They've done an amazing job because they have really dug into that culture and given back to the community. Um, So I think that's something that you could do, but other races can do is pick a cause and give back. Even if it's not going to bring you anything in return, it's just your contribution to the community. It, it, there's just a lot when you put it yeah. down and races are getting more expensive. Mm-hmm. Well, one, one final item about, uh, the Maui marathon, the shirts are, are more popular. And because when you go to Maui, you buy souvenirs mm-hmm. and that's race shirt for Maui is a souvenir. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people probably will want to keep that. Like, well, look at yourself. You're wearing the Maui marathon shirt. You but know. isn't this the souvenir? You see it here? See, I'm pointing at my Maui. That's medal. a souvenir also. And yeah. we, yeah, yeah, that is definitely. And you got the 50th uh, anniversary yeah. of the live running of the event. It's actually yeah. 53 years because we did two virtuals in there. And can I just highlight the fact there's not many medals up there. Those right. are my special ones. And this other one that you can see here is one, uh, the listener can't see it, but it's a medal that Therese Joe's mum made me and it said Maui Marathon and it says number one guide. So that's some, I've got two Maui ones up there and out of what's that, 10, maybe eight. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I want to thank you for highlighting our race. I really yeah. appreciate that. I know that it, it had a lot of impact on you uh, mm, it did. Uh, when you were there. And uh, like I said before, you always have an open invitation as long as I'm running it. If you want to come <laughs> out and run it, I will, you know, make sure that that happens for you. And yeah. I'll take you up um, on that. <laughs> your, your podcast and my podcast in the last couple minutes here um, are both geared towards your, your for real running minds feel good running for the everyday runner. Mm-hmm. What is, uh, what would you say, say to somebody who's new to the running world on how to approach getting involved, uh, maybe running their first race or starting to get out there and train? What would be the n- number one suggestion you would give 
to a brand new runner coming into our sport? Uh, can I have two that are totally You can, you can have as many as you'd like. <laughs> uh, I would say the first thing is go slower than you think you need. Uh, I think the biggest mental barrier between people coming into the sport is their memories are attached to some memory of running in childhood, which was probably some version of sprinting or just going fast. Whereas the way you're going to feel the best, and yes, it's going to be a struggle regardless at the beginning, but slowing down, even if it means you walk or run, walk, or just walk, um, is the way that you're going to progress the quickest and also feel discover what it is that everyone else has been talking about or whatever prompted you to try this you'll see what everyone was saying and then the second thing i would say is is find a community find people whether it's people in your neighborhood to run with whether it's a group you meet up with once a week and go for a coffee afterwards whether it's a um a group that uh make is inclusive towards you you know maybe it's a um group that is tied to some identity that you have um uh yeah i think being a part of a community is is one way to really make sure you stay in it and uh give you another reason to do it beyond just the performance and the what you get out of it side of things i agree with you and if you go to your local running store they have really good connections. A lot of them have a, a run club yep. and they have suggestions on where to find run clubs in your area. And run running groups are very welcoming to brand new runners. And I've seen it over and over again, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, that it's literally changed their lives. Whether Although I want to add one point. So sure. I have had quite a lot of people who have gone to running clubs and not felt welcome. They've been told really? no one's left behind and then left. If that happens to you, try another club. I promise you there are clubs out there that will not leave you behind. So if you don't feel welcome, don't give up. Just don't give up and say running clubs don't work for me. Try find another one. And if you have an Allbirds store in your town, I guarantee you they will be one of those groups. They are really good at, um, they just want everyone to be a part of it. That's great. I, and you're absolutely correct. I have not found too many groups that weren't welcoming, mm-hmm. um, but you can get that out there and don't get discouraged. Just keep moving forward. So yeah. final question I'd like to ask you, what is something that people don't know about you <laughs> that you could tell? So I'd have an edge on my podcast. <laughs> well, this is actually tricky because for quite a few years, my editor and I would do a fun fact at the beginning of every episode. Um, so that is tricky. Um, what I did say something earlier that I said I hadn't shared before. So that was something. Um, a random fact. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'll just do a weird one. When I finish a run, the first thing I do is take my socks off. I do not like the feeling of like wet, sweaty socks on my feet. So immediately when I finish a run, the first thing I do is take them off. And then usually my husband complains some point in the day when he finds them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we all know what socks look like after a, after a raid. <laughs> yeah, so that's a weird one that you've got. I, uh, I just hate the feeling of wet socks. That's the first thing I do is take my socks off. All right. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a great share. Thank you on that one. Appreciate it. Any final message you'd like to express to our runners that are listening? Go do the Maui marathon if you have not, cause it is amazing. Um, but beyond that, I'd imagine a lot of people have, um, yeah, I would just say, uh, 
you know, reconsider what your relationship to running is, even if your world has always been about running the fastest, getting an age group award, doing your best. There's actually a world beyond that. So when it gets to the point for you where that isn't working anymore, that is absolutely okay. And uh, do your best to embrace it. And yes, as we've talked about, see how you can give back. Awesome. Tina, thank you so much. It's it's such a pleasure to finally meet you yeah. in person, sort of. And uh, it's, it's a pleasure. I love the work that you're doing for the running community. And you really are making a difference. And I applaud you to the thank ends of so the much. earth. Thank you so much, Jim. And, and keep up the good work that you're doing. I, uh, I look forward to seeing how the race looks as, a, as you uh, take it where, where it can be. Absolutely. All right. All right. Have a Take good care. Day. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Well, there you go. Tina is such a wonderful woman and has a tremendous impact on the running community, making a difference in many runners' lives. Her commitment to climate and other issues impacting our sport is fantastic. Check out Tina's Running For Real website at runningforreal.com. The site is packed with so much from her podcast, training tips, training resources, and even a training plan you can purchase. There is even even a section dedicated to Running for Real Change, a collection of conversations and resources for people who want to create positive change in their lives and communities. And you can get some excellent discounts through some of Tina's sponsors, such as Tracksmith, Athletic Greens, You Can, and Inside Tracker. And I know that Tina is a huge fan and connected with Allbirds Shoes, Apparel, and Accessories. So be sure to also check them out. Oh, yeah. Throw on some headphones or earbuds and go for a together run with Tina. Those episodes are fun and it'll feel like you're actually running with her. And when you run, listening to music or a podcast, keep one ear open so you are well aware of your surroundings. And of course, get signed up for Tina's weekly newsletter, which you can do so at runningforreal.com. I've included several links for Tina in this episode's show notes, which you can find at my site, feelgoodrunning.com. Thank you, Tina, for being such an influence on our sport. I really enjoyed talking to you. You rock. All right, runners, that's it for this episode. So again, please go to feelgoodrunning.com and sign up for my newsletter. I would so much appreciate it. And remember, you get the PDF gift of 101 running-related links, which is more like 137, right at your fingertips. All you got to do is sign up. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with your running friends and on your social media platforms. Each of you, yes, each and every one of you are a massive part of helping the show to grow. And finally, be kind to everyone, even those that are not kind to you. We are in a funky period with inflation, politics, violence, and overall stress. So it's even more critical than ever to be kind and show others respect. It is the right thing to do. All right, runners, happy Halloween. And remember to get out and vote. Voting is our right. And who gets elected significantly impacts our future. Remember, our vote matters. So please do it. All right. Okay. Peace, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please consider sharing this podcast with your running friends and on your social media platforms. To access the show notes, 
that included all the resources and links for this episode and to access past episodes, go to feelgoodrunning.com. Until next time, keep motivated, keep focused, and keep on running. It is sure to make you, well, feel good. Feel good.